Good morning. Welcome to Maple Grove Evangelical Free Church. It's good to have each and every one of you here with us. We're going to have a conversation together over the next few minutes, but I did want to let you know, if you're here and you're just kind of checking Jesus out, maybe you don't believe in him and you're kind of wondering, okay, is he real? I want you to know, feel free to listen in. You are in the right place. But understand that I certainly am speaking this morning to those who believe that they are followers of Jesus and have made that commitment to him. A couple weeks ago, I was in the doctor's office. I was getting my annual physical. It's on the third floor, and it overlooks this huge parking lot and a big uh, freeway, and it was filled with cars everywhere. And I had been talking to the doctor for about 10 minutes when suddenly he stood up and he said, all right, Travis, you can take your clothes off now. And I immediately, I said, hold on a second. Wait, I thought to myself, are you kidding me? There is this window that was like from the floor to the ceiling, and it was wide open, and it had the blinds all the way at the top. I, I, I got really uncomfortable, and I said, Doctor, I said, I would be happy to remove my clothes so that you can examine me as soon as you drop the blinds. And he looked over his shoulder out the window, and he said, Travis, don't worry about that. They can't see you, and besides, if they could, they're going along in their day. They're so busy, they don't even care. I thought to myself, that's easy for you to say. You're the guy that gets to keep your clothes on, that doctor's outfit, and I'm the guy that gets exposed. I said, doctor, no, you're going to, you're going to, I'm a patient man. You're going to, I was going to outweigh him. <laughs> so you're going to have to drop the blinds and, and I'll, I'll certainly let you examine me. And so he did. But that experience of not wanting to feel vulnerable and exposed, it made me think of someone who absolutely did feel vulnerable and exposed. Who am I talking about? On a cold night in the middle of a forgotten village among very poor people, Jesus, the Prince of Heaven, steps into the world of humans to deliver a message of hope and to illuminate the path to safety, a path that could only be found through the exposure to the message of God's love and the vulnerability of a messenger. Why? Why would Jesus leave the safety and the comfort of his father's kingdom to come to a land filled with violence and selfishness? Why did Jesus embrace the vulnerability of human skin? Obviously, something drove him to it. He wanted to, of course, expose us to the power of his father's love. But here's what really doesn't make sense. Not only did God come to this earth and immediately began associating with outcasts of society, but he did this, he, he associated with a group of people that the religious leaders of his day called sinners. And he did this so often that they literally gave him the title friend of sinners. So why? Why would the perfect son of God, the one who was tempted in all ways yet remained sinless, why would he allow himself to be called the friend of sinners? I mean, wouldn't this t uh, title tarnish a perfect prince's reputation? Why did he do it? Well, it's because Jesus was just what John the Baptist said he was. He was the Lamb of God who would take away the sins of the world. He truly was the friend of sinners. And we can tell this not just from his words, but how he lived his life. Jesus spent time with people everywhere in all kinds.
kinds of places. Jesus went to the temple, and he was there with, with uh, know-it-alls, spiritual know-it-alls and, and seekers. Jesus was, went to his hometown to connect with his relatives, and he was there with skeptics who criticized him. He would go into the city court and be with the general public, some warm souls, but also people who would hold weapons called stones, and they would be breathing murderous threats. Jesus would go to the countryside and spend time with peasants and farmers and feed the 5,000. He reached out to the lepers and to the lame and, and would literally touch the diseased and the hurting. He even went to a place called Samaria, and he reached out to the despised. Jesus lived this powerful example and then he told us to do the same essentially he after he had had uh, uh, risen from the grave he gathered his disciples on a hillside one day and he told them this is pretty much what he said it's your job now he made us his ambassadors and he put it squarely on our shoulders as he told his disciples to go and do what he had done and that he was now going to ascend in second corinthians 5 20 it literally says we are therefore christ's ambassadors as though god were making his appeal through us and on the backdrop of this, the words that Jesus said, but also the life that he lived, there's a really important question to ponder, and it's this. If sharing the gospel is so important, and it's paramount, it is, then why isn't it a completely normal and central core lifestyle for so many who claim to follow Jesus? Sadly, many Christians come to church every week to hear about the love of a father who saved them, just to go home, spend the week in near isolation, to come back the next week to church, to hear even more about the God who loved them and saved them. So why aren't people living it out? Why aren't we, as Jesus passed the baton to his disciples on the hillside that, way, that day, why don't we see people living it out? I know that there have been times in my life I haven't lived it out. Why? Because I've struggled with things like fear. I was afraid if I shared the gospel or what I know about Jesus and how he changed my life, I thought people would reject me or judge me. I've struggled with selfishness. I've been too busy or I've been the focus of my life. I've had a lack of compassion at times. Times when, you know, I, I just at that moment didn't care. I was in a hurry. And there have been times that pride even snuck in. And I, it's sad to have to admit it, but it's true. I've had thoughts of, boy, I'm working two jobs. I'm, I'm doing everything I can to move my life forward. Why don't you just get up off your tail and get a job and do something with your life? And I've had that pride that I'm somehow better or a lack of intentional living. Not having a plan, a spiritual plan for my marriage or for my family. Jesus lived in such a way to do two things. First of all, Jesus came, and you know he, he came to save us, but he also came to set an example for us. Jesus, on that hillside, before he ascended into heaven, he passed the baton to his disciples, and they passed it on to believers throughout history. And I happen to think, and you might agree, that it's an incredible thing 
when somebody is passing a baton from one person to the next and this person is a great responsibility it's a heavy one but they know their time is coming to an end and they pass it to a new person and that person receives it uh, and does a great job with that new responsibility and the whole process is smooth it's so fun to watch but that is not what happened this summer is it the women's running team, they were running the relay, and what happened? They started to run, and they went to hand it off, and suddenly the, the next lady grabbed it and dropped the baton, and of course, the film went on to show us that one of the ladies from another team, she had kind of entered her lane and bumped uh, the American woman, and so they, uh, they contested it. They allowed them, of course, to rerun, and they did, and then when they did, Every time they passed the baton beautifully, they, they qualified for the final round and went on to win. And it was an incredible thing to watch. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1 says this, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, in other words, these people that have gone before us that have handed us the baton, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up, and let us run with endurance the race that God has set before us. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. Jesus is our champion runner. He's out there in front of us, and he's reaching back to hand us the baton. In an Olympic race, people aren't supposed to run in your lane. But in the life of a follower of Jesus, not only is it okay, it's commanded that we run in the same lane together, that we reach for the baton together, but for some reason, the baton is it's getting dropped this, this command that Jesus has given us to go into all the world and to share the good news of Jesus. So what has gone wrong with the church today? What has gone wrong with me and possibly with you? Why are we not doing what God has called us to do? Why are so many not doing that? Well, I wonder for a moment if we need to drill down deeper. Is there a deeper issue at work than some of those things that I suggested to you that I struggle with that maybe resonated with you? Is there a deeper issue of why we're not actually doing what Jesus called us to do? I wonder if it could be this. I wonder if it could be that we have lost sight of who Jesus really is. Is it possible that, that Jesus isn't in our lives in the way that he should be. Now, Jesus, as you know, was often referred to as the Messiah. Messiah means a person who is expected to save people from a very bad situation. Is it possible that some people who call themselves Christians aren't interested in the real Jesus who can save them from their bad situation? I think it is. I think that might be the real problem here in our lives when we aren't doing what God has called us to do. I happen to think that there are three kinds of people in the church today. The first kind of person is this, those who don't need a Messiah. It's not that they don't believe, believe in Jesus. It's not that they don't attend church but they don't need a Messiah. Why? Because they're, they're hardworking. They're self-reliant. They're independent. They know how to fix things the minute something goes wrong in their life. Rather than hit their knees and cry out to Jesus in desperation for help, they're like, hey, I got this. 
I'll fix it. I'm good. And they continue to live their lives that way. They don't need a Messiah. But then there's that second group of people, those who don't want a Messiah. These are people who view themselves as victims. In other words, they're going through life and they're always looking for somebody to offend them. They're always looking for people to not measure up or they have this attitude that everybody needs to meet their needs. And it's not that they don't need a Messiah. They don't want one because the minute they truly accept Jesus as the Messiah, then they no longer can walk around and, and look to be offended by other people and judge other people when they have glaring problems in their own, in their own lives. They no longer can look to other people to meet all their needs. Now Jesus becomes the source of their lives. But there's some good news this morning. There's a third kind of person, the kind that as Jesus, the great champion runner of our faith, running out before us, and he reaches back and he hands the baton, there is a person that's grabbing a hold of it and will not drop it. Who am I talking about? Those who would die for Jesus and those who would die without Jesus. He is the center of their lives, the very reason they live. He is their Messiah. They get it. They'll never forget it. Jesus saved them from a really bad situation, and they are so grateful. If I could pick up a Polaroid camera, and it seems to be getting pretty popular to do so, and I could take a picture really quickly of what that looks like, I would have to talk about Jesus. Jesus was with his disciples one day, not just the 12, but with a lot of his disciples, maybe hundreds. And he's just finished uh, sharing a message. He's just finished challenging them as the champion of the faith. And he said, hey, you're here. I want you to go here. I want you to stretch and become more that God wants you to be. And the Bible says on that day, they all left him. They deserted him. One by one, they all started to leave until it got down to the last 12. And Jesus looked at the 12, and he said, Are you guys going to desert me also? And in John chapter 6, verse 60, 68, Peter says these words. He says, Lord, to whom would we go? You have the very words that give eternal life. We believe and we know that you are the Holy One of God. Jesus, we, we don't have anything. It doesn't matter that we got this over here or that over there. Jesus, we are lost without you. You are everything. What would we do, Jesus? Now, this is where all followers of Jesus need to be. Those followers who are all in and that are wanting to serve Jesus. These words are the perfect picture of a true follower of Jesus. But it's kind of interesting. This is where Peter ended up. But this is not where Peter started. Peter was probably one of the greatest spiritual leaders to ever walk the earth, one that we can really relate to as human beings. But he need to, needed to learn a lesson about vulnerability, about exposing people to the gospel. And he was about to be taught by the most unlikely person in his culture. Jesus and his disciples were in northern Israel. They were ready to head from, uh, from Judea to Galilee. They were ready to head south, but Jews at that time, any good Jew, wouldn't, they wouldn't even look at a Samaritan. They didn't want to have anything to do with Samaritans, but especially a rabbi. They would probably, if they were heading from Judea to Galilee, they would go around Samaria, but not Jesus. Why? 
because he was willing to take on the vulnerability of human skin to expose us to the love of the Father. Jesus was one who lived without walls and without borders. They didn't exist. So Jesus walked straight through Samaria to these people who would, who would take the Jewish religion and, and I worshiped idols and they would mix it together. They were half Jews and half Gentiles and Jesus plows right through and he stops at a place called Sychar or Shechem in Samaria and he sits down by a place called Jacob's Well. It was the super America, the holiday of, of, of kind of that area and he sits there and the disciples leave him and they go to the city to get some food and suddenly up over the ridge comes a woman. She's got her pot. She's ready to grab some water. And she hears the sound of a voice, not just any voice, but the voice of a Jewish man, a rabbi, Jesus. And he asks her for a drink of water. Now, this was a worldly woman, a woman who could handle herself with men. She spun around, I would imagine, winked at Jesus and looked at him and said, wait a second. You know religious law. You know that you're not allowed to talk to me, a Samaritan woman. Jesus said, but wait. If you knew who was asking you for a drink of water, you would be asking him for a drink. She was looking at him, probably laughing because he had nothing to dip into Jacob's well to give her a drink of water. She's like, do you know how deep this well is? Are you greater than Jacob and Joseph? But Jesus said, look, you drink this water and you will be thirsty, but drink the water that I can give you and it'll bubble up within you to eternal life. Immediately, she was sold. She thought, wow, can you just give me some of this water so I don't have to carry this pot back up every single day? Some of the ladies in the room can probably relate. Could you just tell my husband to start cooking some meals for a change? And so this, this lady was like, Jesus, I'll take it. I'll take it. And so um, Jesus looked at her and said, go get your husband. She said, I don't have a husband. He said, you're right, because you've had five husbands, and the woman, the man that you're living with right now is not your husband. And immediately she knew that he was a prophet, that he had been sent by God. And next she does what anyone who doesn't truly know Jesus wants to do. Even in our culture today, she begins a spiritual conversation. People around you are looking to talk about spiritual things, and they're looking to people who are vulnerable, who Christians who will tell them the truth about Jesus. And she begins to say, hey, I, I, I heard we were supposed to worship here on this mountain, but your people say we're supposed to worship in Jerusalem. Tell me the truth. Jesus said, there's a day coming where people won't worship here on this mountain or in Jerusalem. God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. Jesus suddenly had told her something that she needed to hear, but it was over her head. And so she just, she, she probably got nervous, and she said, that's okay. I, I know I don't really understand what you're telling me, but the Messiah is going to come someday, and he's going to explain it to you, and he's going to explain it to me. And that's when in John chapter 4, verse 26, Jesus said, I am the Messiah. And in that moment, her life forever changed. I can just hear the sound of her pot crashing to the ground. It hit her. This man told me everything that I have ever done wrong in my life. And, and he's, he knows these incredible spiritual things. And wait, he is the Messiah. So verse 
28, the woman left her water jar beside the well, and he ran, she ran back to the village telling everyone. Would you say that with me? Telling everyone. Let's try that again. Telling everyone. She didn't keep it a secret. Verse 29, what did she tell him? Come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could he possibly be the Messiah? So the people came streaming from the village to see him. It's natural. It's who they are, Christians. It's who we are, followers of Jesus. Know exactly who he is and tell everyone everything about what he rescued them from. I once was in darkness. Here's the sin and the mess and the desperation of my life. But here's Jesus has brought me to. I have been set free. Christians don't hide out in isolation. They don't keep the truth of how awful their life really was and how great Jesus has made it a secret. No, they share it with everyone around them. This woman suddenly had a proper view of Jesus. He went from being a kind rabbi to now she got it. He was the Messiah. She knew that he wasn't just a thirsty man in need of a drink of water, but this was Jesus, like John said, the Lamb of God who would take away the sins of the world, the Messiah. So here's a good question. What happens when you actually meet Jesus and he changes you? What happens? Well, the answer to that question can be found in this woman's life. Immediately, she had compassion and love now brewing inside of her. And that is why she went back to her village to tell them about Jesus. She wanted to be vulnerable in order to expose them to the love of God. Here's a key. If you remember anything from our conversation this morning about being an all-in follower of Jesus, I want you to remember that it's through vulnerability that we expose others to the gospel of Jesus. It's through vulnerability. It's not through walking into church and pretending we have it all together and making sure our kids look just right. No, it's a culture of transparency, of saying, here's where I used to be. I was spiritually blind, but Jesus has given me light. My path is illuminated, and I can see. So what happened next in John 4, 39? I love this part. Are you guys excited? Here we go. Now many of the Samaritans from the town believed in him. Help me out. Because of the woman's testimony, God has given you a story. Do you know who you are? You are a child of God, and you have something incredible inside of you. It's not your credentials. It's not what you've accomplished. It's that you have a story, and that story, as you share that with the people around you, it will save them with the power of the gospel. It's incredible. Many of the Samaritans from the town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. What did she say? He told me everything I ever did. In other words, she opened her mouth and she got vulnerable. You know what she probably said? She dropped her pot, ran back to them, and she said, guys, you're not going to believe this. I, I, there's a guy that's a prophet that I thought was a prophet up there at the, the well, and he told me everything I ever did. You know those four husbands I was married to and that fifth one I ran off to Vegas and eloped with? And now the, the new one, that I, new person I'm living with that I'm just not even married to, he knew about them all. But then it hit me. 
He's the Messiah. He rescued me from my bad situation. She didn't hide. She didn't try to put on a Christian veneer and look really nice. She got vulnerable and said, this is what he saved me out of. Verse 40, when they came out to see him, they begged him to stay in their village. So he stayed for two days. I love it. Jesus doesn't just walk through Samaria. He makes a long weekend out of it. Long enough, verse 41, for many to hear his message and believe. End of story. Isn't that incredible? Isn't that amazing? This woman understood who Jesus was. She shared it with her village, got really transparent, just like Jesus embraced the vulnerability of human skin and exposed us to love of the Father. This woman did that. But that's not the end of the story. Isn't it incredible? It doesn't end. Here's why. Because in the next verse, verse 42, then they said to the woman, now we believe. Not just because of what you told us, but you did. You shared your testimony with us. But because we have heard him ourselves. Help me out with this. Now we know. Help me out again. Now we know that he is indeed the savior of the world. Jesus is the great champion runner of our faith. And he's running and he hands the baton to a, a little Samaritan woman. She grabs a hold of it and runs to her village and hands it to them, and their lives are forever changed. She is a pivotal link in the chain. Guys, these people were saying to this woman, you told us we met him. You told us we met him. And you have that ability. I have that ability to share our story, and they will meet Jesus. We know as, as all-in followers of Jesus, that exposure to the gospel is how people meet him. That's how they meet Jesus. I once was lost, and he saved me. Jesus saves. It wasn't just that they had heard about Jesus, but they met him. Again, how did they meet him? She told everyone, come and see the man who told me everything I ever did. I love this woman. She's a hero of mine because she literally became a pipeline of God's love. And I've thought about this. What if this woman, after she met Jesus, before she went back to her village, what if she sent in an application to an area seminary so that she could, you know, get smart enough to go and share the gospel and be an evangelist to her village. What if she had done that? You know what they would have done? They would have laughed her right out of there, wouldn't they? Uh, excuse me, how many husbands have you had? And who are you living with right now? But she didn't. Why? She didn't need to. That's what God does. God uses everyday people like me and you to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. He doesn't call the qualified. He qualifies the called. He doesn't care about your past. God loves you. He loves you unconditionally. In spite of your past, he will take you even if you'd have a horrible resume like this woman. She left her town as an immoral woman with a terrible resume, and she went back to that village as a spiritual leader. And that's what God us for each one of us in the lives of other people she had nothing to lose and everything to gain she was like peter lord to whom should we go you have the words that give eternal life we believe and we know that you are the holy one of god she was like paul the apostle when he said in romans 1:16, for i am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of god giving eternal life to those who believe Somebody recently, I, I, I was hearing them talk, and here's what they said. They, they said that I think we need more programs and events here at Maple Grove Free for people to do evangelism. And that 
that got into my soul and I pondered that. That was hard on me. And I prayed and I pondered. And then it hit me after about a week and a half. God said, Travis, I want you to go to Maple Grove Free and tell them this. You don't need more programs or events to do evangelism, to teach you evangelism. You are the program. The world is watching your life, and as you live your life in front of people, God will use you. How many of you know that God doesn't use programs to save people? He doesn't. God uses people to save others. You know what? There's one of us in here that's awake this morning, right? God uses people. He uses people to save others. And that's why he has placed you in a pivotal position and place in your life. It is through vulnerability that we expose others to the gospel of Jesus. You have exactly what they need. You, are, you just have to be willing to share it with them. Now, vulnerability to some of us is like, boy, I'm not interested in that. That's scary. But you know what? It's the right posture. Because uh, when we come in vulnerability, people know that we don't come to judge them or to attack them. So just like Peter, learn from this woman. I believe that we too can learn from her as well. What does the Bible, what does she teach us through this interaction with Jesus about sharing our faith? Number one, write this down. Followers of Jesus share love. We share love. What communicates love? Community communicates love. What am I talking about? Genuine relationships. I can tell you that I love you, but until I stop talking and start asking questions about your life, until I start to to spend time, quality time with you, until I start to actually carry out actions that communicate love, until I do those things, I'm only breathing mirror and speaking mirror words. She was vulnerable with them and shared love. In the early 1900s, researchers wanted to find out a little bit more about addiction. And so they they took two cages and they put a rat in each cage. They put a water bottle in one cage and another water bottle, but one laced with cocaine and heroin in another. And they put a rat in each cage and they waited. And, and the cage with the, the heroin water, the rat would take a drink, and they'd take another drink, and they'd take more and more, and eventually that rat died, and the next one died, and the next one. Eventually, all the rats died. 100% of the rats died. And so that became the gold standard of how we viewed addiction for nearly three quarters of a century until 1973, a guy by the name of Bruce Alexander, he was the professor of psychology at the University of Vancouver. And he kind of theorized, he said, boy, those cages, they don't, they don't look a lot like our human lives. And so he took a different cage and he, he called it Rat Park. And here's what he did. He, he put a rat in there, but this time he put rat toys and a rat running wheel. He put cheese and he put rat buddies so that, you know, the rat could sit there and, and eat chicken wings while he's watching the Vikings with his rat buddies on a Sunday. And, and he put rat girlfriends in there so he could fall in love and have rat babies. And then... As you know, they put the bottle of drug-laced uh, water in there. And every rat, many of the rats would take a drink. And they might have even taken another. But they eventually all stopped drinking. And not one of them, 0% of the rats died. Why do I share that with you this morning? Because they didn't just learn a lot about addiction. They learned a lot about community and support and love. When you know you belong, that is powerful. 
And so I ask you, where is your community? Is there anyone in your community who lives there who is in desperate need of Jesus? If not, invite a bunch of people in and begin to share your story with them. Secondly, we learn this, that we as all-in followers, we share our lives. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 7, the author tells us how he shared his faith with those who weren't in Thessalonia, who weren't, uh, they weren't Christians, but then they became Christians. And here's what he says. Just as a nursing mother cares for her children, so we cared for you because we loved you so much. We were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well. You know that a nursing mother, he says, has to latch on physically to the, her, her, its life support system to receive that from the mom. He's saying, look, that's the picture of how we interacted with you before you were Christians and after. We had skin-to-skin -skin contact. We were shoulder-to-shoulder. -shoulder. We were right there with you in the trenches. Now, I, as a follower of Jesus, I can't stay in a church all week long and not get out into the community. It doesn't feel right to me. And so because of Jesus and what he has done in my life, so I'm involved in a group on a regular basis in this community. I have friends, it's a weekly group, and then I have friends outside of this church who don't know Jesus. Well, a couple months ago, a friend of mine in that group ran up to me and he said, Travis, he said, where do you live? And I explained to him, Don and I, we actually live 18 miles from the church. And I explained to him, thinking, you know, he had no clue where we lived. And he goes, that's so weird. He said, because I think we're neighbors. I go, seriously? I, I described my house to him. He goes, oh my gosh, I walk by your house every single day with my dog. He goes, I, yeah, I got an idea. He said, would you guys want to come over and hang out with our, our family, bring your family, and we'll hang out this weekend? I said, absolutely I would. You bet I would, because coincidences don't happen in God's kingdom. In a city of three million people, it just so happens, him and I live 1,200 feet from one another. We went over there, and we had an incredible night. It was so awesome, and multiple times throughout the night he went on to tell us that they were Mormons and how they practiced their Mormon faith and right before we got up to go he stopped me and he said wait before you leave Travis could you please just tell me what was it why did you really want to become a pastor and immediately the Holy Spirit descended in his backyard and I began to tell him about how I was lost that I was in a very bad situation and Jesus pulled me out of that Jesus saved my life and I wasn't sure I thought boy how is he taking this we got up and we he gave me a hug we went to leave and and by the time I got home I had a text on my phone and he said hey when can we hang out next guys People want you to share their lives, to share your story and vulnerability just like Jesus did. And the last thing we think of from this woman is that we share hope. We share hope. Did you notice that six people, if I got this right, in Anoka County last weekend died or, or uh, had heroin overdoses? Two of them died and left this earth forever. Man, this world, I thought last year was bad, didn't you? Is this year worse or what? I mean, it's awful. And we're looking to political leaders to somehow fix things and give us answers. And there's this divisiveness, this friction in our world. But I happen to think that when Don found this sign, there, there's this sign, and I agree, Jesus Christ is America's only hope. You see, that's where I'm placing my hope. That's where my faith is, not in the economy, not in future leaders. Are you kidding me? I'm placing my hope. Here's what I want to say. In the end, 
I know in the end that my Redeemer lives and he will stand on this earth. C.S. Lewis got it right when he said, the church exists for nothing else but to draw men into Christ, to make them little Christ. If they're not doing that, all the cathedrals, clergy, missions, sermons, even the Bible itself are simply a waste of time. God became man for no other purpose. So a new rule. From now on, just between you and me, it's always okay to be standing in front of a huge window in the doctor's office that's completely open and refuse to take your clothes off. It's okay. But it's never okay to do that spiritually in front of those God has called us to help. Why? Because it's through vulnerability that we expose others to the love of Jesus. So I ask you, have you been selfishly keeping your life, not just to yourself, but for yourself? Do you have a, a Messiah or a victim mentality that is keeping you from living exposed and vulnerable? If so, it's time to change. You love the idea of God changing others, but are you ready to let God change you? Because that's what it's gonna take to be able to grab the baton from our champion runner, Jesus. He spent time with people everywhere, all the time. He lived without orders, borders and walls. And then the last thing he said to his disciples as he handed them the baton, go into all the world and preach the good news to all creation. as we pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you, God, for these incredible people standing before me now. God, I, I, I really, God, I haven't met 
so many amazing people like here, God. There are some just unbelievable people. And God, I pray that they would be blessed today. God, that they would be encouraged today that their story matters, that you are going to meet their story and their vulnerability with the power of the gospel, with hope. Jesus saves. You are our hope. And so, Lord, I pray a blessing on each and every one of these, my friends, that they would have that opportunity to, Lord, to just really cover themselves in vulnerability and expose others to the love of Jesus. It's in your name. Your name we pray. Amen.